Welcome to this Dutch walk through the Bloomsbury and King's Cross areas of London. My name is Uli Tiedow. I'm a historian based at the Dutch Department of UCL. And together with me here are... Christine Sass, I'm Director of Dutch Studies at UCL. Maria Kingma, I'm Curator for Dutch Language Collections at the British Library. We're going to take you on a walk through uh, Bloomsbury and King's Cross. The walk will start at UCL, home of the oldest Dutch department in the Anglophone world. It was founded in 1919, so we literally just last November celebrated the centenary of Dutch studies in London, in the UK and in the Anglophone world. And it's also host to uh, one of the largest Dutch libraries in the country. We will then walk past Gerard Reves, the famous Dutch writer's former living place, when he unsuccessfully tried to establish himself on the English market in the 1950s. We will visit the Elizabeth Anderson Gallery with its connections to Dutch and British feminism, the Eurostar Terminal, London's gateway to the Low Countries, and the many beautiful Dutch and Flemish exhibits of the British Library, before ending the walk well, in the Dutch East India Company pub in King's Cross, where we can reflect on the nature of colonialism and its afterlife. This walk is just one of a set of curated Dutch and Flemish walks through London, generously supported by a UCL Beacon for Public Engagement Award, and the Dutch and Flemish diplomatic representations in London. Here we are in front of the portico of UCL. UCL obviously has been founded in the 19th century as quite a radical counter-institution to Oxford and Cambridge back then, but that's not the story we're going to focus on today. So let us take the entrance to the right of the portico, uh, which brings us to the entrance to the main library. If we go up the stairs and follow the corridor all the way through to the very end, just continue walking, even if you think it doesn't go any further, you can continue walking and right at the very end we'll come to the Dutch Library, which is the largest and most important Dutch Library in the UK, founded also in 1919, a century ago, by the first incumbent of the Chair for Dutch Studies, Peter Heil, a famous historian. We've got more than 15,000 different copies of first editions of uh, Dutch books, translations, secondary literature, all of that. We leave the library then again going all the way back and we can exit the UCL grounds via the Wilkins Terrace, very new development in UCL, which brings us to Gordon Square. Gordon Square we need to pass by on the south, so if we just go one block right and then continue walking on Tavistock Place, past Tavistock Square Gardens, across Woburn Place, all the way to Regent Square, which brings us to the next uh, stop in our walk. Yes, and I will talk about that a little bit more. So we are now standing in front of the house where the Dutch, well, at least very famous Dutch author Gerard Reven lived between 1952 and 1957, because he very much wanted to be a famous author, and he thought, if I'm famous in the English world, that will just you know, launch me on the world stage. So he even published a novel in English called The Acrobat and Other Stories. In fact, there's stories, it's not a novel, in 1959. Unfortunately, it hardly received any attention. He's interested in, he was also interested in playwriting. He made a Dutch translation of Albie's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is the one, the translation that is still used in the Netherlands. Now, he did become more famous a lot later, in fact, after his death, because a couple of years ago, his most famous Dutch novel, De Avonden, translated as The Evenings in English, was published by Pushkin Press and actually was quite a hit. So even though this novel for years was said, even when I was at college, we were told, oh yeah, he really wanted to become, you know, this famous author in English. It never worked out because he was so quintessentially Dutch. It was untranslatable, everything he did. 
but what turned out only a couple of years ago um, is that um, actually this novel really, really hits a nerve. And it was compared to The Catcher in the Rye, to uh, Camus' uh, The Stranger, or Karol Knausgaard, I'm saying that wrong, I think. My Struggles are really very, you know, big names in, in world literature. So he probably just needed, you know, another half century to find his audience. Some people have compared it to Kafka's Metamorphosis. People say it's diabolically funny, it's painful, it's a study in post-war ennui. One of the, and there's a lot of detail of everyday boring uh, stuff, but he somehow makes it, you know, very, very touching and recognizable. So one line, a very famous line is, I work in an office. I take cards out of a file. Once I've taken them out, I put them back in again. That's it. And every Dutch person will start laughing because it's so recognisable. We all know this novel and, and that we're so pleased that finally it has found its English audience. So Reva was quite a controversial figure. He converted, famously converted to Catholicism in the 1960s when that was very much not a cool thing to do. But he had his very personal way of experiencing his religion and he was even put to trial at some point by the Catholic Church because he described in one of his novels how he made love to God in the shape of a donkey. So, you know, a very, very personal way of experiencing his religion. Uh, so he, and he was also openly uh, homosexual, which again in that time was not exactly the dumb thing to do. So, you know, groundbreaking figure in, 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 in many ways. And, and like I said, we're pleased he's finally found his audience. So Pushkin Press, the evenings here at Reven. So we're now walking back towards the British Library. So basically you walk back on yourself through Stadistock's place and then go into Judd Street and follow Judd Street all the way up to Euston Road and there you'll find the British Library where we have two artefacts we very much want to share with you and I'll hand over to my colleague Maria. Hi, welcome to the British Library. I'm glad you made it and come in, come in. Don't be afraid, it's a huge space but we're all very welcoming in here. Now, you enter if you cross the piazza, you enter uh, the main hall and you can see the information desk right in front of you. Now, if you take the stairs to the right of it and go down and you walk past the, uh, the cloakroom, you will see a little bust placed at the corner to the entrance to the education centre. And that bust is made after a school photo of Anne Frank. And this was commissioned by a couple uh, called the Sherringtons in 1998 uh, or 9, 1999, on the occasion of what would have been Anna Frank's 70th birthday had she survived the war. And the sculpture is Doreen Kern. It has sat outside on the piazza for a while, and uh, so they brought it back indoors, and um, and she's now sitting right next to the education centre. And I think it's a rather nice idea to have a Dutch figure uh, being so prominently present um, at the British Library. So, as I said, my name is Maya Kingma, and I'm curator for Dutch language collections. The Dutch language collections span Dutch language, Flemish. Frisian, West Frisian language and Afrikaans. Uh, 
literature. And um, the subjects are mainly humanities. So we have a, a very good collections on politics, drama, printing history. We have uh, large collections of imprints of the Elsevier and the Plantin families. So make your way back up the stairs and to the third floor and go to the other side of the building to the maps reading room. Now, just before you enter the reading room proper, you come into a little little area and to the left of you is the Klenke Atlas. It's a huge book. It was the largest book in the country until 2013 when another atlas uh, publisher published an even bigger atlas. But I think this is really a special, a special item because it was made in the 17th century, around 1660. It was what you could call um, relations present because it was gifted to Charles II uh, on his return to England to take up the throne by Amsterdam and other Dutch merchants. And uh, all kings love atlases and maps. But this is a unique collection of 42 wall maps. That is why it is so big. It weighs a lot. You need four people to lift it. And at one point, Blue Peter, the children's program, came to the library to ask, can we have a look at the um, at the um, Klenke Atlas, or can we have it over to the studio? And the answer was, no, 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 you can't. But even when you're not in the library, you can still see it because a few years ago it was digitized. And you can access the digitized version through our catalog. So if you go to www.bl.uk and you go to search our catalogs, and you put in Klenke Atlas, you will get a link to the website, and there you can view the atlas. So thank you very much for visiting the British Library. I hope you get yourself a reader's pass. It's free. And, um, and make use of the Dutch collections, where we will have Gerard Reves' The Evenings, as well as the original Dutch version, obviously. And we also have Anne Frank's diary in several editions and several translations and much, much more. Thank you very much, Maya. So if we exit the British Library and turn immediately left on the piazza, then we leave the grounds of the British Library on Usselton Street, which brings us to St. Pancras Station, which we can enter through the taxi entrance and walk past this gateway of London to the Low Countries because the Eurostar Terminal is, of course, located here, which has direct trains to Brussels and to Amsterdam, next to Paris and other places in Europe, obviously. What we used to do when we physically made this walk is to continue walking onwards, so exit St. Pancras on the other side, and go all the way further to the street called Varnishas Yard, because it used to be home to a very strange place, one of my favorites in London, which was called the VOC Pub. I think it's closed recently, sadly, but might have reopened again. We need to check that after the lockdown. So VOC pub, how come a pub in the UK calls itself after the Dutch East India Company, a company deeply involved in colonialism? So it's a very strange place, a Dutch East India Company themed bar, 
which displays spices typical for the colonial trade with the East Indies, modern-day Indonesia, like cloves, nutmeg and maize. It serves or used to serve VOC punch, etc. It's not a very old site and the reason for choosing the VOC theme remains unclear to me. Possibly the colonial past of another country is more easy to be digested than uh, the own past. In a slightly ahistoric or postmodern fashion, the interior also uses British East India imagery. The VOC or VOC, Vereinigte Ostindische Compagnie, was the company that ran the Dutch East Indies for the Dutch Republic in the 17th and 18th century and was deeply involved in colonial exploitation, indentured labor and worse. Former Dutch Prime Minister Balkenende in 2006, just 10 years, 15 years ago, caused public outcry when in a speech he sought to encourage entrepreneurialism by demanding more VOC spirit from his uh, co-citizens. The pub is still a good place to reflect on colonialism and its afterlife. Uh, Christine. So back to Euston Road and we turn right, we follow for about three minutes, five minutes max, I think, depending on how fast you walk. And on your right, you will find the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson um, Gallery. Um, why do I mention this very famous British feminist and champion for women's health and women's rights? <clears throat> it's because a very famous Dutch feminist and champion for women's health, Aletta Jacobs, came there and met with Elizabeth Gareth Anderson and because they shared the same ideals and goals. Aletta Jacobs is a fascinating, fascinating figure. She was the daughter of a, of a doctor born in 1854 and very much wanted to step in her father's footsteps. Now at the time women were not allowed to study medicine, in fact women weren't allowed to vote, women didn't have many rights and she had no intention of, of doing the usual thing and getting married and have children, though she wanted to be a doctor. She managed to convince a local university that she could attend the classes. She wrote to the then um, chief of the ministers to ask for admission into the university. She got that uh, after a while. She had been attending lectures and she was in fact the first woman to gain a doctorate in medicine in the Netherlands. She goes to London at some point and she observes women's physicians in various London hospitals. This is also when she meets Elizabeth Garrett Anderson. They both really share, as I said earlier, the same ideals and also the, the, the fight for the right to vote for women. And I want to say a little bit more about that. So she, she realizes, and this is in the late 19th century, that she would like to vote. And the law doesn't explicitly say that women are not allowed to vote. It just sort of assumes. And women actually at the time were not considered citizens. So the law just said citizens. And in fact, what happened is that the Dutch even then changed the law in 1887 to make it quite clear that it was only men who were allowed to vote. She then campaigns and campaigns and campaigns. And in 1919, women, Dutch women were indeed allowed the right to vote. Now she was an activist throughout and she she noticed that there was a big lack in care, particularly health care for working women, and by that she means a certain type of women I think. And she very much she opened a clinic in Amsterdam where women could come and get help with their with their own uh, health and their children's health. She is well known for what in English is still called the Dutch cap because she also introduced a contraception clinic so it wasn't just general health but also that aspect of women's health so quite controversial at the time as you can imagine again something that a concern that she shared with Elizabeth Garrett Anderson 
Yeah, I think that's all I want to say about her. Do look her up. She's a fascinating woman, a great inspiration to us all. Um, and then we will continue our walk. Uli, that's back to you. Right. So if we leave the Anderson Gallery, uh, continue walking westwards on Houston Street. And then after Houston Station, turn right into Melton Street, like if we were going to one of the lovely vegan Indian restaurants on Drummond Street. But we're not going all the way down to Drummond Street, but take one street to the left uh, before Drummond Street, which is called Houston Street. Turn immediately left again into Stevenson Street and round the bend will come to the Royal Asiatic Society. But why is the Royal Asiatic Society of interest in connection with the Dutch walk through London? It's because of its founder, Donald James Mackay, the 11th Lord, Lord Ray, who was born in The Hague in the Netherlands as Donald Jacob, Herr van Ophemert and Zeneweiner. He's the only politician, actually, who during his lifetime was a member of both the Dutch and the British parliaments, the only person in the world. Born in The Hague to a well-known noble family from Gelderland, he inherited his Scottish title and became naturalized in Britain. He had a long career in the civil service and in academia, serving as governor of Bombay from 1885 to 1890 and as undersecretary of state for India in 1894-95 in Lord Rosebery's government. From 1893 to 1921, he was also the first president of the Royal Asiatic Society and after the foundation of the British Academy in 1901, became its first president, while also holding the office of Provost of University College London. Under his patronage, the UCL Department of Dutch was founded in 1919. The UCL Art Museum, by the way, holds a portrait of his by the Anglo-Dutch painter Lawrence Alma Tadema. And to UCL, it's only a short hop across uh, Houston Street. From here, uh, it's easiest to exit Stevenson Way on the other side to pass under Houston Road at Houston Square Station, walk into Gower Street, and we're back where we started our walk in front of the UCL portico. Yes, so we've gone we've gone full circle and we're back to the beginning of Dutch studies at UCL indeed with Lord Ray. Um, and of course, I, thank you Ulrich for mentioning the UCL Art Museum because of course the UCL Art Museum, which we didn't mention in the beginning, has a really interesting collection of Dutch prints, prints by Rembrandt and Van Eyck and, and many other uh, very interesting Dutch artifacts. So by all means, you can always make an appointment with them and view some of their uh, wonderful pieces in their collection. Now, thank you very much for, 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 for being with us on this walk. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you will go to the British Library and go and have a look at Anne Frank and the Kingart Atlas and the many, many other wonderful, wonderful things you can find there. We hope you will read Reve's De Avel, The Evenings. In fact, speaking of Dutch literature, you may also want to read the, a novel that came out in English this year, in 2020. Also with evenings in the title, by the way, The Discomfort of Evening by Marieke Lucas Reineveld, that has just won the International Booker Prize. So, you know, Dutch literature is all the rage. Go and have a look around and Google UCL Dutch if you want to know more about what we do. Thank you.